This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion, one verse at a time. Welcome to the One Verse Podcast. I'm your teacher, Jeremy Myers. This is episode number 73, and we're looking at Jonah 1.17, final verse in Jonah chapter 1, and it's Easter week. It just so happens that we're looking at Jonah 1.17 today, which, in which we read that Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, and in Matthew 12.40, Jesus uses this event to talk about how he will spend three days in the grave. So uh, we'll be discussing both of those as part of today's episode of the One Verse Podcast. And I got some exciting news. My new book is finally out. I've been telling you about it for a couple months. Uh, The book is titled Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. And if you haven't done so already, you can now buy a copy on Amazon. It's available as an ebook for your Kindle or as a paperback. And uh, right now, if you want to find it, there's a banner at the top of my website at redeeminggod.com. Tells you a little bit about the book, and you just click on the link, it'll take you over to Amazon. You can also go to Amazon and search for it, but the problem is, is there's that song, that hymn, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. So if you go to Amazon and search for Nothing But the Blood of Jesus, you're going to get a bunch of musicians and artists who have who have sung the song. So if you do search for it on Amazon, just make sure you put the book in the end, uh, the word book there, Nothing But the Blood of, blood of Jesus book. Or you can even do Nothing But the Blood of Jesus Myers, something like that. And uh, that way Amazon will know, oh, you're searching for the book instead of the song. (laughs) So uh, anyway, hope you buy a copy and then uh, let me know what you think after you buy it. So uh, let's turn to Jonah 117 to see what we can learn about Jonah spending three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. Right, so Jonah 1.17 says this, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the final verse of Jonah chapter 1, and there's lots of people who sort of seem to think that this final verse should actually go with Jonah chapter 2. Uh, it's sort of a hinge verse. It sort of takes us from the surface of the stormy sea down into the water, into the belly of the fish, where Jonah finds himself in uh, chapter 2. Okay, and and so the verse says that after Jonah is cast into the sea, the Lord, Yahweh, prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but when I was in kindergarten, grade school, you know, we heard this story often told in Sunday school, and I often read a lot of books about it, and they always depicted this great fish as, you know, a big whale or something. And uh, people say, oh, but it's not a whale, it's a fish. It looks like, you know, the the text here says it's a fish and a whale is very different from a fish. Uh, You know, I'm not a marine biologist. I don't don't actually know the difference between a fish and a whale. Like, what, a whale's a mammal, I guess, maybe, because it has to come up for air and a fish doesn't. It breathes through shark or or through through gills. I don't know. 
Uh, and so then because of this, there's all these debates and theories on what kind of fish this could have been. What fish is so big that it could swallow a manhole? You know, some people say it's some sort of giant shark, but then other people, no, it's the, the teeth on the shark are too sharp and they would have shredded Jonah the way a shark eats its food. You know, there's all these debates about it. I was in a, a red lobster a while back and I saw this big giant fish, a picture of a fish uh, on the wall there with a man standing next to it. And it had the, the, this fish was 38 feet long. It was 18 feet around and it weighed an estimated 26,000 pounds. <laughs> uh, when it opened its mouth, uh, it was uh, the mouth opening was about five feet wide and about two feet high, plenty big enough to swallow a man whole. And uh, so, you know, numerous studies, this is the kind of fish it could have been. Look, if you if you uh, have been listening to my podcast for a while, reading my blog, if you, especially if you listen to some of my episodes on Genesis, you know that I believe sometimes we Christians, we get caught up in all of the weirdest arguments about Scripture that have nothing whatsoever to do with the text. Okay, I don't know if this was a fish or a whale. You know, for all we know, back then, they didn't know the difference between a fish and a whale. And if it swam in the sea, then it's a fish. Uh, so, uh, but, you know, maybe maybe there's, I don't know, it's, it's one of those big debates. It just doesn't matter. Who cares what kind of fish it was or whether it was a fish or a whale or all those sorts of arguments. Okay, Jonah got, God sent a, a, a sea creature to swallow Jonah and... Um, that's where Jonah is for three days and three nights. End of story. <laughs> Can we just agree? <laughs> that, that's all that really matters. Okay? So the, the real question here really is not so much what kind of fish was this, but, but, but what is the reason God sent the fish? All right? And, and there's really two basic answers here. One sort of views it as God rescuing or delivering Jonah. And another view sees it as God disciplining Jonah. Another way to look at this is, is God preparing Jonah for the next step or punishing Jonah for disobedience? Now, remember, one of the main questions in the book of Jonah is, what is God like? How does God behave, especially towards sinners, people who are rebellious and disobedient? And so we sort of need to know how God is responding to Jonah here. Is the whale, the fish, whatever this is, (laughs) um, is it discipline? Or is it deliverance? Or maybe some combination of the two? And this is important because you and I have the same question. When, when we do bad things, when we disobey God, and then something happens in our life, is that God sending this upon us as punishment? Or is he protecting us in some way from, from you know, drowning in our sin? Something like that. Anyway, we don't have the answers at this stage in the text and in this stage in the, in the story to answer that question. So uh, we're just going to go along, go on with the text the way the text invites us to. So the text says that uh, Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Now, I, I don't know how much reading of fiction, other, you know, especially sort of fantasy, Homer, Iliad, Odyssey, those sorts of things, but very often in ancient stories, the hero of the story would would travel to the underworld, the netherworld, the realm of the dead even. And that's sort of how this part of the story is being described in the text. From a narrative perspective, the belly of the fish is equivalent to being in the underworld, in the realm of the dead. And uh, three days and three nights, very symbolic in ancient literature as well. 
of, of the abode of the death, on the threshold of death, sort of. Uh, and in fact, it, it's important to see it this way if we're going to properly understand Jonah's prayer in chapter 2. So I'm just bringing that up here, just sort of give you a heads up. Uh, Jonah thinks he's about to die. He's on the threshold of death, right? And that helps us understand his prayer, what he prays for in, in chapter 2. He thinks he's about to die. Yeah, he doesn't know when he's in the whale. It, I keep saying whale, <laughs> carry over from my childhood. He doesn't know when he's in the fish that uh, he's going to be spit out. All right. Uh, we'll talk about all that next week when we get into Jonah chapter two. All right. So, so what about this parallel then between Jonah one seventeen and Matthew twelve forty? Jesus says in Matthew twelve forty that just as Jonah spend three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so also the Son of Man will spend three days and three nights in the grave. Now, the the main parallel, I, I believe, is really not so much about the time. That is a parallel, because Jesus did spend three days and three nights in the grave. Uh, but uh, I think that really Matthew twelve forty is sort of it is a prophecy about his resurrection, right? Jesus knows that just as Jonah got spit out of the whale, so the ground, the earth is going to spit spit Jesus out as well. But I also think, sort of, that Jesus is giving an indication here in Matthew twelve forty of how to understand the actions of God in Jonah one seventeen. Uh, we all believe and know that Jesus didn't go to the grave as punishment. I'm sort of getting into the question here, I suppose, on how to read Jonah 117, whether it's it's discipline or deliverance, punishment or preparation. Uh, Jesus wasn't punished in the grave. He doesn't go there to be punished. This is part of his ministry, part of his plan and purpose. And uh, it is preparatory for Jesus birthing the church, as we see in Acts chapter 2, from the Holy Spirit and all that. Okay, so so the, the, Jesus, I believe, is sort of indicating here that just as God does not punish people for their sin, just as God is not out to get people for their sin, instead, what God does is he jumps into our sin with us. He dives into our sin with us to walk with us through our sin, to be there for us in the pain, to, to, to cry along with us as we mourn and as we suffer. Uh, Jesus is showing that that is what is going to happen to him, and that is also how we should read what happened to Jonah. Uh, just as sort of a heads up, God is not punishing Jonah here. He's not, well, he may be disciplining Jonah a little bit. It's a, punishment and discipline are quite different. God does discipline, but he does not punish. Uh, and the distinction is fine, but it's a very important one to keep in Scripture. And I, I just really believe that what Jesus is doing here is he's just reiterating, he's emphasizing that fact that Jesus has been trying to reveal throughout his entire ministry that God does not punish people for sin. Okay? He, he, he helps us through our sin and through our storms and everything that comes upon us in life. And really, that's an important lesson for us to remember this week during Easter week. Uh, this week, around the world, lots of Christians are going to hear that Jesus died this sacrificial death on the cross because God was so angry at us for our sin. Jesus just sort of stepped in the way and took the bullet for humanity so he could purchase forgiveness of sins from God. And I sort of hate to say it, but 
But there's going to be lots of Easter sermons that get preached this coming Sunday, from the day I'm, I'm recording this anyway, that are going to sound an awful lot like Jonah's terrible message to the sailors on the boat. God is the most powerful God in the universe, and he hates sin so much that he just wants to kill everybody. The wages of sin is death. He must punish sin because he is righteous and holy, and his wrath burns with an everlasting wrath towards sin, right? But God, he needs a sacrifice. And in ages past, it was the blood of bulls and goats that temporarily appeased and atoned for sin, appeased the wrath of God. But now in Jesus, the the final sacrifice, the once for all sacrifice, better than the blood of bulls and goats, because he is God's own son, the perfect sacrifice who could once for all take away the sin of the world. You've heard sermons like this, right? I have. (laughs) Um... I don't know if I've ever preached a sermon exactly like that, but but that is the sort of message that there will be lots of people around the world hearing this coming Easter Sunday from, from pulpits. You know, wages of sin is death. And since sin is an eter- infinite affront against an eternal and perfect God, right, then an infinite and eternal sacrifice is needed to cover and pay for that infinite debt. And Jesus paid that debt. That's what he did on the cross through his sacrifice. Uh, l- listen, that is not a correct view of God, of sin, or of what Jesus did on the cross. Yes, Jesus did die as a sacrifice on the cross. The Bible states this truth over and over and over, and I affirm that truth. Jesus truly did die as a sacrifice. All right, and yes, absolutely, the Bible tells us, teaches this, this over and over. The sacrifice of Jesus truly does rescue, deliver, and save us from sin. The Bible states that truth. I believe it. Right? So, so... If you're confused, you know, does what are you saying, Jeremy? Does God want sacrifices or not? Does he need them in order to extend forgiveness, love, grace, or does he not? <laughs> the truth that we're beginning to see here in Jonah, but we see perfectly in the life, ministry, and teachings of Jesus. And we're definitely going to see it by the end of the book of Jonah, which is also a truth all over the place in the Bible, once you have eyes to see it, is that God does not want or need sacrifices of any kind. God has never been angry at humans for their sin. He's never been angry at you for your sin. He has always loved you, no matter what. He's always freely forgiven you for all your sins, past, present, and future. And so why did Jesus have to die? Why why was Jesus sacrificed on the cross? The answer is that Jesus did not die for God. Jesus died for us. The, The biblical revelation, when we see this from the Gospels, when we see it all over the place in the Gospels, and then once we see it there, we see it all over the place in the New Testament and the rest of Scripture as well. The biblical revelation is that it is we humans who want and need sacrifice. Not God. It's we humans who want to kill others. And we do so in God's name 
to make ourselves feel better about what we're doing. But it is this killing others in God's name that is the greatest sin of the world, the foundational sin of the world. Uh, And one of the greatest problems with this greatest sin is we don't think we do it. We think that the only reason we offer sacrifices to God in God's name is because God wants them. (laughs) And that's the biggest lie of all. No matter how much God tells us that he does not want or need sacrifices of any kind, no matter how often God reveals that he is not angry at, uh, at us about our sin, but has only love and forgiveness for us, we don't believe him. God said this over and over and over to the Hebrew people throughout the Old Testament, but they never believed him. And so God set out to show us that it is we who want sacrifices, not him. And he did this by sending his own son, Jesus, to become the sacrifice, a scapegoat victim killed by our own hands. On the cross, while we're killing Jesus in God's name, Jesus forgave us, showing us that this is what Jesus has always done for our sin. Okay, and then after he spent three days and three nights in the grave, just as Jonah's doing here, Okay, Jesus does not lash out in revenge and retaliation. Right? If God was truly the way we think God to be, it's God of anger and wrath, judgment against sin, then don't you think he would have lashed out against the greatest sin of all of murdering his innocent son? But he doesn't. Instead, just like Jesus on the cross, he loves and forgives. This is what Jesus did. And it, in so doing, he shows us this is what God has always been doing as well. God never needed or wanted sacrifice. He's never been angry or upset about sin. He's upset about sin, but only because sin hurts us. He loves us, and sin hurts us, and he doesn't like to see us get hurt. And so for that reason, God's upset about sin and tells us not to sin. But it's not because sin angers him or anything like that. He's angry against sin or at sin, but not towards us. And he's only angry against sin because He sees how much pain and hurt and sorrow it causes us. And there's so much truth in here, too. Jesus reveals on the cross that because we see God never wants sacrifice, um, we we can never call for the death of others in God's name. Right? the, The cross of Jesus is simultaneously, it reveals to us the truth about sin and sacrifice, and it also calls us to stop killing others, calling for the death of others in God's name. And that is how the sacrifice of Jesus saves the world from sin. It doesn't save us from God. We don't need to be saved from God. And we don't have anything to fear from God. He loves us in perfect love. His perfect love casts out all fear. Now, the sacrifice of Jesus, what it saves us from, it does save us from sin. It saves us, calls us to, it reveals to us our sin and then calls us to stop committing it. (laughs) Saves us from ourselves. It saves us, the sacrifice of Jesus saves us from the sin of killing and sacrificing others in God's name. Now, that's the primary revelation in Scripture. I think it's the main thing God wanted to reveal in the Bible. It's one of the main things Jesus taught throughout his life and ministry, through his, his, even in his birth, and then his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. 
it's, it's what we're going to see even here in Jonah, just to sort of give you a heads up on where Jonah is headed. And so it is so sad that especially this time of year, around Easter, so many Christians miss and ignore this vital and important truth from Scripture. No, look, I, I know I went through all that pretty fast. Uh, probably what I said just raised more questions than answers. Uh, and if that's the case for you, look, just get a copy of my book, that, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. I go through all of that very, very carefully. All right. Uh, almost 300 pages, looking at five key words. Sin, law, sacrifice, scapegoating, and blood, just to explain all this. Look at a bunch of texts, over 50 texts from the Bible, carefully explained. And the book's on Amazon, so if you want to read more about uh, what I just said in this podcast, you can get it on Amazon. I told you how at the beginning of the episode. Search for Nothing But the Blood of Jesus book, or Nothing But the Blood of Jesus Myers over there on Amazon. And you can learn more about all of this. And look, this week, as you're looking towards remembering the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, rejoice in the fact Jesus did not die to rescue us from God. Jesus died to rescue us from ourselves. Jesus died to reveal the truth. That God has always loved us, always forgiven us for all our sins. That is the truth you can celebrate this Easter week. That is a truth to proclaim loud and far and wide to anyone who will hear it. God is not angry with you. God does not hate you. You are loved. You are forgiven. You are accepted. No ifs, ands, or buts. No conditions. No fine print. I hope you have, based on that truth, a wonderful and amazing Easter weekend. For He is risen. He is risen indeed.